Hey, how are you doing? This is when you go, okay, failing forward, what's that about? Well, I'll tell you in just a moment, but first, um, happy Father's Day again. If you uh, have a dad or have somebody in your life that has been like a dad, make sure you say how much you appreciate them, especially for the things that um, they showed you rather than told you, because I know that there's a long list from my dad of things that were shown to me. And one of those things was this maxim, maybe you heard it before, if at first you don't succeed. Okay, so I want to know though, actually, if you practiced this, like for example, on the high board, okay? If you got, if you're old enough to have a high board, it would be like three meters tall, which when you're nine seems like 30 or 40 feet, but you know, is actually about 10 feet. But if you went out onto that platform, that rickety, or you know, if you were, you know, had the one that was just made of enough materials to make it bouncy, but supposedly it wouldn't break, and you walked out there, even though you were probably only 60 or 80 pounds, that thing would start to bend at the end, like it was willing you to slide right off of it. So sometimes, you know, people would sit down on it, but it's tacky, so you don't slip, like, that's smart. But again, it's this traumatic experience that you go out on, and you're like, okay, well, what happens when I fail? Which, I don't know, for me, it was and a huge, huge belly flop. So like redness down the 64 pounds that I was at the time. And it's like, oh, try, try again. No way. Not trying that again, not till this wealth comes off. Or, you know, singing a solo. Maybe you had the option of singing a solo and you totally messed the thing up. I mean, epic fail. We had a girl in our church who was 16, nice girl, talented voice. She got up, she messed it up, she started again, which I give her a lot of credit for, started again, messed up, ran out the side door, never saw her sing again. If at first you don't succeed, do you try, try again? I think in this world, we have these definitions of what it means to succeed and what it means to fail. And they're set very early in life. And most of us, when we're trying to succeed, I mean, we'd admit, like most of us, yes, we're trying to succeed in life. We want to be good in life. We want to be good at our work. We want to succeed in our, in our relationships or in our sports or in our performing arts. And really, we should be training to fail. I mean, that's what author and leadership guru John Maxwell says. We should be training for failure when most of us are trying to succeed because here's the thing. Mistakes and failure are far more common than success. Just like poverty is much more common than riches. And disappointment is way more normal than exceeding expectations. Now, I don't know how you feel about those things. But do you accept the notion that there's no achievement without failure. Like, it's just part of the process. And I need to like failing, because it's going to happen. I, I don't. Alexander Pope said 300 years ago, to err is human, and to forgive divine. Which sounds like a nice churchy way of saying, oh yeah, like we're going to make mistakes, but let's just not talk about it. Let's just kind of ignore the failures. 
Well, I want you to think about right now the challenges or the obstacles that might be in your life. A situation that seems probably bigger than you might want to step forward in. Or something that is out there on the horizon that you feel like, I could really go for this. I could really try this. But what if I fail? See, John Maxwell would say, lots of people would say, I don't know if you say this, but I don't even, at, at first when I heard this, I wasn't even sure if I agreed with it, but, but all these people would say, it really doesn't matter what the challenge is, what the obstacle is, what that thing is that's out there that you uh, are facing, and it could be huge. What matters is how you perceive failure. How you respond to failure, how you look at failure, that's what matters way more than whatever you're facing. So maybe we should kind of explore that. Now, um, anybody ever heard of Samuel Pierpont Langley? Yeah, I I didn't think so. Now, if he was here, because he's dead, but if he was here, he would tell you that it absolutely matters how we define failure. Samuel Pierpont Langley was an American astronomer, physicist, inventor, and pioneer. And look at this guy's list of pedigree. He attended Boston Latin School, then graduated from English High School of Boston, was an assistant at the Harvard College Observatory, then a professor of mathematics at the U.S. Naval Academy, mostly to work on their observatory, but did do some teaching. And then he became the director of an observatory in Pennsylvania, while also a professor of astronomy at the Western University of Pennsylvania, which became the school in Pennsylvania. And then he became the third secretary of the Smithsonian Institute back in 1887, a position he held for about 10 years. Now, if we were going to define success, I would say, wow, that is quite a success list. And yet, none of us have ever heard of this guy. I think it's because he didn't redefine success and failure. And if you and I, here's the thing, if you and I are willing to redefine success and failure, we can try and attempt and accomplish outrageous and amazing things. We can overcome problems that we would have never thought we could overcome. We could overcome obstacles instead of actually being the obstacle ourselves, If we're willing to change those definitions. But it's not really about success and failure today. It's not really about whether we do well in school, or we do well in the arts, or we do well in our jobs. I mean, those are things that are, are important, but really life is truly about listening to and responding to God. Having a relationship with Him, and He wants to have one with you, And that's where this idea of success comes in. But to begin this series on Failing Forward, we're going to look at two pillars of the faith, two people that are just foundational in not only the Christian faith, but also in Islam and in Judaism. So their names are Abraham and Sarah. They also are known by Sarai and Abram, if you haven't heard of them. So if you have a Bible, turn to Genesis 12. We're going to start in verse 1. If you'd like one, you can raise your hand and someone will bring you one. It's kind of cool. Or you can look on your phone if you'd like to do it that way too. 
Genesis 12, starting in verse 1. This is a promise that God gives to Abram and Sarai. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. All the people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and all the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the great tree of Morah at Shechem, and at the time the Canaanites were in the land. Don't miss that. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. Not just the Lord said, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to God, who had appeared to him. From there he went towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. These are amazing, amazing promises. And I think in this we see some of what success and failure is. First of all, I think we see that that failure is not loss and success is not accumulation. Abram and Sarai had to leave where they were to become these agents of God's promise, these people who would advance these promises that God had given. They had to leave a way of life, the way they had done things for, for years and years and years. They were 65 and 75 years old. That's a lot of learning. They had to leave their gods that they formerly worshipped in Ur and in Haran. Both of these places worshipped the moon gods mostly. And so there's evidence that Abram's parents, or at least Abram's father, would have worshipped these moon gods as well. And they had to leave those gods, this way of worship. And they also had to leave family, which meant security, which meant relationships, And I think quite possibly they had to leave their view of success. God says, go to the land I will show you, which means the land I will cause you to see. We'll talk more about it next week, but the word is ra'ah in Hebrew, and it means that it's not something that we can physically see the way we look now, but when we look with God's sight, we can see it. And so God was going to show them but they were going to have to leave. And yet, he doesn't tell them where where he's going to take them. So, think about in your life, when you've been asked to do something, where you can't really predict the outcome. Is it easy to do? When it's not your plans. These were not Abraham and Sarai's plans. These were God's plans. So think about in your life when somebody else has plans for your life. Maybe you've heard that. Maybe I've said that to you. Do you know God loves you and I have a wonderful plan for your life? But imagine you're in a situation where somebody else has plans for you. When is it easy to obey? Because it says that 
Abram and Sarai were quick in their obedience. So Abraham went. Abram went. The only time I can think it's quick to obey is when they're good plans. Like imagine you're, in a, you're, you're at your job and your boss comes to you. You're in multi-division, right? Boss comes to you and says, um, we're going to close your department. We're downsizing, we're making cuts, but you happen to have two of our most profitable clients. So we're going to cut your department, but we're going to rehire you. But don't worry, you won't lose any of your seniority. We'll give you an extra week of vacation, and we'll raise your salary by 40%. Now, unless you had some very, very big problems with this company, uh, I think most of us would be like, hmm, let me pray about that. Okay, yep. I want to do that. These sound like good plans. These aren't difficult. Even though they're someone else's plans, they're very easy for us to jump at. And we don't quite know what kind of reputation Abram's father had, but we do know that in the time of this ancient world, that protection, provision, and favor were granted through the father. This is why I'm thinking Father's Day started back then. That was a joke. It wasn't a very good joke. But <laughs> So Abram and Sarai had no children, which at that time, people would have looked at them as cursed because the gods give you children. This is how you, the human race continues. At that time, it was much more important for the human race to continue. There's lots of people now. We might not be as worried about it. But at that time, they would have said, these people are cursed because they can't have children. And yet, Abram and Sarai flourished. It said they had, land, they had wealth, they had um, friends, they had, they had material possessions. So there's a very good chance that because of Abram's father, they were provided for, they were protected, and they were given favor. All of that meant that they were going to lose that when they left. And listen to God's promises again. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will give you offspring. I will give you land. Do you hear what God is saying? I will protect and provide and give you favor. I will be your father, but you need to leave your father to get this favor and protection and provision. And it's a great, great promise. It's part of the reason I think that that Abram and Sarai moved forward in faith because it was such a great promise, because these blessings were going to be amazing, and because they were learning what it meant to have God be Father, have God provide and protect and give favor, how it meant to trust and follow him. In fact, I think if we were to really think about what that means, it would, it would say like, okay, that was, there was risk there, right? But there was also this element of trust because risk, they don't know where they're going because God hasn't showed them. And they don't know what, they know what they're leaving, but they don't know what they're getting other than this promise. They want to be agents of that promise. They want to advance that promise. They want to see that promise happen. And yet to trust means to obey and to risk means they've got to cross over from here to here. That's what Hebrew means. The one who crosses over. You know, when you, when you say that you trust something, 
you don't often know until you take the actions to go forward. Like if you've ever rock climbed, you don't really know if you trust the rope until you fall and you feel the tension and the the rope get tight and your weight be held by it. Now you trust that rope. It takes risk and trust to have faith. And Abraham and Sarai are learning that. But how many of us know we have missed an opportunity because we weren't willing to risk? And maybe it's because we had our own definitions of success and failure, and it was too much. Now, I'm not saying that this was easy for Abraham and Sarai to do, and I'm not saying it even was logical, but they clearly heard God's promise, and they wanted to step into that. And it says that in response, Abram calls on the name of the Lord. He builds two altars in that time, and he calls on God's name. I wonder what he said. It could have been something like, okay, God, I did what you said. I'm here And I've left my homeland, I've left my culture, I've left my language, I've left everything I know to come to this place. I've left my father and my security. I've left my inheritance. And I I, I left because you promised. And I want to believe you. I want to believe you're going to provide that security. I want to believe you're going to provide that protection. I want to believe you're going to provide that favor. I want to believe that you're going to provide those children, the thing that I want, that, that my wife has wanted for the time since we have, have been together and, and we have had none. This is the thing that she wants more than anything else in the world. God, I didn't realize, though, that there would be people already living here, that this land you promised was already occupied. And they're big, and they worship other gods, and they they sacrifice their children. This is not where I want to actually be. In fact, I kind of move throughout the land that you promised because, you know, these people don't really like me grazing in their area. So I've made it down here to this southern region called the Negev, and it's kind of deserty, and it's a little bit sparse, and it's, it's grass, so not very many people live here, but it's working, and I'm waiting, and I'm trusting. Maybe that's what success is, trusting and following God. That would mean that we would be people, if we're doing that, that would be agents of the promise. We'd be people who trust. We'd be people that, that want to follow God into his promises, advance those, see those things come true. And, and then failure would be forgetting to trust and follow God. Now, I think those definitions would would work for Abram and Sarai so far. Think about in your life if they would work for you. Success is when I trust and follow God. In anything, because everything's spiritual, right? And, And failure is when I forget to trust and follow God. So what about this this Langley guy, this Samuel Langley guy? Does does he does this definition of success work for him? Well, in everything we've read, these are worldly accomplishments. We can't really tell from them if he trusted and followed God. So we don't know yet. Sometimes we don't know what success is until we experience failure. Now, think about that as you read with me the next episode, the very next episode that the writer gives us 
to these amazing examples of faith. Now there's a famine in the land. And Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. Egypt is always bad. He said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is my wife. And then they will kill me, but they will let you live. So say you're my sister. So that I will, I will be treated well for your sake. And my life will be spared because of you. And when Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when the Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. And he treated Abraham well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep, cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? Why did you tell me she was, why didn't you tell me she was your wife so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men and they escorted him out of Egypt. They sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev. Like, we don't, get a, we don't get a good ending. It's just this abruptness that does not fit with our definition of success. In fact, as I look at this, the first problem is there's famine. And it's a food famine. There's not enough food. And we need food to eat, right? Like, I don't know how many of you have skipped a meal. Yesterday, I was watching my son play baseball. And... Um, he had an early morning game, and then we came, the rest of the family came home for lunch, and it was kind of a tight turnaround, so everybody made lunch on their own. I decided to make my sandwich, put it in the fridge, and go for a run before the next game. I came back, I showered, I grabbed the sandwich, set it next to my keys, or actually set it by the laundry, and then went out to my car, forgot my keys, came back in grabbed my keys, ran out to the car, went to the game. At about 3.30 or 4, I was kind of hungry and a little bit, I was like even kind of crabby about it. I'm watching like the kids devour the snacks and I'm like, I, I, I shouldn't be mad about them having the snacks, but I kind of want a snack. But I'm really kind of upset about the snack. There's a point to this, I promise. Well, when I get home from the game, there sits my sandwich on the, on the laundry because I'd forgotten to eat it. See, we need food to live. We need bread to live. Humans need this sustenance, or at least we think we do. And it always starts with something basic that is not enough. It might not be food in your life, but it might be recognition. It might be appreciation. It might be relationships. It might be conversation. It might be money. But there's always something that we think we need, and it's not enough. And it says that, that the famine was severe, so they went down to Egypt. Do I stay here and starve, or do I go to Egypt, and because of the Nile River, like, 
there's always a water supply, so there's food there. But Egypt is called the narrow place. It's not really a place of abundance, get it? Narrow place, not enough. And yet they left a land of not enough. And so Abraham goes. And now from just a food problem, there's this family problem. There's this faith famine. Abraham does not have enough faith now. He relies on his wits, not on his God. Nowhere in the next in the episode that we just read is there a conversation with God. Guys, I'm a pastor and I have days or m- afternoons or mornings where I go, "Whoa, I've made it through like the last 4 hours. I've had no conversations with God." My guess is that happens in your life. You rely on your wits, but not on your God. Not saying that to make you feel guilty, just trying to relate what a story from 4,000 years ago has to do with today. There are times that something basic that we see as not enough all of a sudden isn't the issue because the bigger issue is this faith famine. When we rely on our own reasoning and our own skills and not on our God, and that's what Abraham does. And he becomes the obstacle. Well, Sarai, you're beautiful, which had to say a lot for being 65 years young. And so we'll lie about our marriage, and that, we, that way we can both live. I mean, it will, it will cost us, but we'll be treated well. It'll cost you your dignity. It'll cost me a lot of your trust. But, but we'll live, because we need food to live, and we need stuff to live, and we'll accumulate wealth. Wow, from 4,000 years ago, think about what we're saying here. Friends, when we read this, The world tells us that we can look young at 65, and if we do, Sophia Loren will tell you, "Mm mm-hmm, that's success. Or if we can lie in our marriage and get away with it, then we're doing good in our marriage. And if we can get rich, well, then we have made it. It's the same stuff. Whether it's 4,000 years ago or whether it's last week, this is what the world tells us is success. I'm not saying you can't have money. I'm not saying you can't look good when when you get a little bit more advanced in your age. And I'm not saying that you can't have um, your cake and eat it too in your marriage, I guess is what I, I want. Don't lie. It won't go well. But when Abram, when Abram was sitting in Egypt, we don't know how long this part lasted. But when he was sitting in Egypt, in his in his home... Remember he was wandering in a tent? He had a home when he was back in Ur. I have a feeling he had a home in Haran. He was in a tent when he was in the promised land. And now he's in a, in a palace, if not a home. And he's sitting with all his stuff. I just have to wonder what was going through his mind as he looked at no promised land and no happy wife and no children. And God's promises were just laying there shattered on the floor. He's not an agent of God's promises. I know what I'd be thinking. Complete, utter failure. Total loser. That's what I'd be thinking. So why would God include this? 
Because I wonder what the community was saying. When they looked at, when, when this got discovered, what did these people in Egypt think? You're supposed to be God's chosen person? You're the blessing that the rest of the world is going to be blessed by? I don't think so. There's no way God would choose you. There's no way he would use you. No, not going to happen. You just lied and showed no faith. You trafficked your wife and profited off it. You are not ever going to be used by God. Maybe that's what, to some degree, goes through your mind. God, why would you use me? You, you know what I've done. And yet, we get these two episodes of these amazing people. Three religions are founded on these people. And there's one of epic faith, and there's one of utter failure. Why would the writer include both? Because the next story just goes on to something different. And I think it's because we're all like Brahm and Sarai. We're all not totally good, and we're all not totally bad. We both have, we, we all have this, this piece of decency in us, and this piece that we despise. That is something we don't want to show people. And we're, we're this mixture, and, and, and because of that, we have a skewed definition of failure and success. And that's why we, we, we need to redefine these words. Because failing doesn't make you a failure. I don't know if anyone needs to hear that today, but when you fail, you don't have to like label yourself a failure. You can label yourself however you want, but it just means that you had a one-time event where you missed it, where you made a mistake. You don't have to write in permanent ink, failure. Failure is not final. It's not... It's not the end. It's, in fact, some people would say failure is the price we pay on the road to success. To attempt anything in life is to risk failure. If you run a company, think about it. If you run a company and people were afraid of failure, there was no failing in this company. Imagine how much innovation would happen. Almost none. If you ran the department, if you ran the company, you would want to get through there that, that please take risks, take smart risks, but make mistakes. This is what, where, how innovation happens. Don't be shackled by perfection. Don't let good get ruined because of perfect. If you're a teacher, imagine being in a classroom where you could not make mistakes as a teacher. You know, they've actually done brain research and they've watched images of people's synapses. When they make mistakes, different synapses fire and it shows that new learning is occurring when we make mistakes. We actually should develop classrooms and develop companies where, where mistakes happen. This is why baseball has been so much fun for our family because baseball is just a game of mistakes. It's a game of failures. Think about it. Like when people get one and three hits, they're called they're they're put in the Hall of Fame. One and three. That like we'd get an F on a test. By the way, test it just means like you take a test and that day you you missed it. Like probably means you didn't prepare over the material. Okay. 
It's a one-time event. It's an event in a process. It's a moment in the journey. And in this case, for Abram and Sarai, it was a moment where they forgot to follow and trust God. And it was big. And yet, it says that Abram came back to the land. He came back to the land and he worshiped this God. And God continued to use him. And if you've read the Bible, you know that the Bible's filled with people who fail. And God still used them. Because God uses people who fail. Because that's the only kind there is. If you failed, you're not a failure. God still, still, desperately and, and passionately wants to use you, wants to be in relationship with you. And if you gave yourself permission to fail, what would you try and accomplish? I mean, this Samuel Langley guy, if he would have changed his definition, do you realize that he would have been the first person to invent the machine-powered, human-piloted airplane? That's what he was going for. And over a hundred years ago, just over a hundred years ago, the pursuit of flying was like the, the thing that everybody was trying to do. I know drones are kind of the rage right now. My neighbor has one. He brings his camera and looks in my window. And I'm, and anyway, it's not, we're not going to go there. But, but that's what he had accomplished. He'd actually invented the first drone. After he left the Smithsonian, he'd done this great work from 1896 to kind of 1898 or 99. He developed the first um, heavier-than-air planes, but they weren't piloted by humans yet. They were just kind of these remote control things. And so literally, the government gave him $50,000 in 1899. And the Smithsonian gave him $20,000 that year to invent the human-piloted, machine-powered airplane. He had all the money. The capital wasn't the problem. Oh, he also harbored Smithsonian. Like, this guy was connected Plus, the New York Times was following him around. They would do stories all the time on the three years leading up to this as he's doing these, um, building these drones. And, and so the world is seeing this. In fact, you know, one guy from Ohio was seeing it, and he was so intrigued that he's like, uh, I, I want to do, like, I want to build that. And that guy didn't even have, a, I mean, didn't even go to college, didn't even finish high school, but like, bought out of his uncle's business and with his brother convinced him to start a bicycle company so that they could, they could attempt to fly. And from 99, 1899, four years, 1903, failure after failure after failure after failure. It said that if you read, you read up on these guys, that, that sometimes they would, they would try and make their gliders and their flyers and stuff and they would only go from eight in the morning until till noon because they'd broken everything so much they'd have to go home. And yet, at the same time, here's this Langley guy who has all the money, he has all the connections, he has all the press he needs, and in 1903, he does his first flight in October, and he goes over the Potomac River, and he puts the plane up on a catapult because he's worried about, you know, the the air, and he doesn't want to weigh it down too much, so he doesn't put pontoons on it, and on on liftoff, on catapult, like one of the wings catches, and it totally, totally crashes. Like the, the newspapers have this epic time of just calling him what a failure it was. 
his, his boat starts sinking, his plane and his engineer, like that's over there on the right, like he survives, but, but he starts building again and he just can't stop thinking failure, failure, failure. Three months later, December 9th, he does it again. This time, the plane doesn't even hit the catapult. The problem is that when he catapults it off, like the whole plane just breaks apart, sinks in the river, and he's done because he believes he's a failure. He quits. And yet, two guys, this guy and his brother, who start the bicycle shop, who for four years have failed, they don't see failure as epic. They don't see failure as final. They don't see failure as fail. They certainly haven't labeled themselves failures. They're just two guys who are trying to make a plane and change the world because they believe that flight will change the world. They want to be agents of possibility. And so they just go and they go and they go. And nine days after Langley has a second failure, they drive from Ohio to the sand dunes of Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. And they're the first two people to fly a machine-powered, human-piloted airplane. They changed their definitions of failure and success. And the world was changed in terms of human flight. And friends, we have a God who cares way more about us than about if we fly or not. Imagine what we could do and imagine what God could do through us if we were willing to change our definitions of failure to, whoops, I made a mistake. I can still be an agent of possibility or an agent of God's promises, one who advances them because God will still use me. See, Abraham and Sarai's failure in Egypt is not about giving us a moral example of what to do or not to do. And it's not even really to show us a new definition of failure. I think it's included to show us that despite this couple's failure to follow and trust God, success, God still overcame every obstacle to his promise. God never fails. See, God protected and cared for Abram and Sarai even when they failed to care about God. God protected Sarah when Abram or Abraham didn't. And God provided for them in Egypt and as they left Egypt, just like he promised he would. And so what is their response? Their response is what I think our response should be. It says that, that Abram and Sarai go back to the land of promise. And from there, they went from place to place until they came to Bethel, the house of God, the place where they had first built the altar. And there... Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Now, how do you think he called on him? Certainly not as a success. But I don't think he also called on him as a failure. I think he called on him as one who needed a savior. As we prepare to worship God and respond in song and in offering, would you do the same? Would you call on the name of the Lord? as one who needs a savior, as one who might need to redefine your definitions of success and failure. I do, and I have. It's been the most amazing journey to think about this idea of failing and succeeding.
and it's worth it. To let God move in our mistakes, to say, we need you, God. Would you call on him? What would happen in your life? Remember when Jesus, if you remember the story of God going out into the wilderness and being tempted by the devil, and he went for 40 days without food, and yet he lived. And when Satan said, you need to turn these stones into bread because you need to eat, he goes, man does not live, people don't live by bread alone, but by the word of God. See, we need to change our definition of where our success and where our sustenance comes from. When we give ourselves permission to be fed by the word of God, to change how we see, when we give ourselves permission to make mistakes, anything is possible. And we can become agents of God's promise. So we call in the name of the Lord with me. We hear God's word that says that, that his grace is sufficient for you. That his power is made perfect in our weakness. His power is made perfect when we make mistakes and when we fail. That's when people see God. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for these two stories, the one of faith and the one of failure, and I thank you for both of them. I thank you especially for the fact that we see that your promises will endure, and God, you'll remove every obstacle regardless of what we do to be an obstacle to it, and I pray, God, that we would hear that we're yours today. I would pray that we would hear that you call us to be agents of your promise, that you call us to be people that don't live by bread alone, but by your word, God. And I pray that you would call us forward that we might worship you, God. That we might respond in offering. That we might respond with attempts, with risk, with trust to follow you, God, to follow hard after you. And we call upon your name, God. We call upon you because we need a savior. We know that we've made mistakes. We know that we're, we're not totally good and we're not totally bad, but we're certainly not God. We're not you. We'll never be perfect, but Jesus, you came and you sacrificed yourself so that we could live, so that we could be forgiven. And for that, God, we are, we are eternally grateful. Be our Savior. We need you. Receive this, this offering this offering of our mistakes, this offering of our successes, of our effort, of our time, and of our money. God, to say that we trust you because we do, because we want to. Thank you for what you've done, for how you showed us how to live, and for continuing to be with us even when we fail. In Jesus' name, amen.